If I can seek to look for responsibility and control, that will empower me. And if I'm empowered, I'm more likely to grow. I'm more likely to get somewhere better than where I'm at right now. I'm more likely to increase the capacity of happiness and understanding and abundance if I hold on to that ideal. Hey, it's Jason Flatland here. You're listening to The Jason Flatland Show, where I'll be sharing everything from sales and webinar tips to improving productivity and reaching your infinite potential. Jason Flatland here, and damn, they're turning the heat up, aren't they? For a lot of people, right now is the hardest time of their life. This is due to certain economical conditions that have changed in the market, inflation, uncertainty, certain protocols that were enacted many, many years ago. I'm talking healthcare protocols, nutritional information that was distributed in mass that maybe wasn't that healthy. And it's all kind of building up and just spilling over to a lot of people. A lot of struggling going on right now. And I had somebody ask me the other day, hey, Jason, can you make a video on how to stay focused and how to stay present and crushing it during very tough times. And I thought, whatever, let's see what we can do. Maybe I'm up for the task. And so this video today is I'm going to talk to you about some ideals that you can hold in your heart and stay present towards that can pull you through the tough times. Because Churchill said it best, when you're going through hell, keep going. So these are the ideals that I want you to try on. And if not these, then form your own ideals. But these are good ones to start with. These are the things that will pull you forward if you're going through hell. So let's go. Ideal number one, say, I take control and responsibility over the course of my life. It's a powerful ideal. Most people believe that their fate or their circumstances are largely determined or even wholly determined by someone else or something else. Now, I want to be very clear with you on this. It doesn't necessarily need to be true, this ideal that I'm giving you, the ideal that I will take responsibility and control over the course of my life. There are things that you will not be able to control. There are things that no matter what you do can mess you up, can knock you off track, can hold you down. That is absolutely correct. But what are you going to do about the things you can't do? It's that whole serenity prayer, right? God, give me the serenity uh, to accept the things I can't control and to be able to do what I can. Uh, okay, you know I'm not going to be able to freestyle that off the top of my head, but hopefully you could Google it, look it up. You see what I'm saying here? If we can't control it, no need to worry about it. If we can control it, no need to worry about it because we can control it, right? So uh, this is just a belief that I want you to hold on to because if at least you have the presumption that I can take control and I can take responsibility, then that's more empowering. It is more likely then that you will reach for the resources or reach towards the character traits and attitudes to cultivate, to continue to move on. But if you feel like life is completely out of your control, then yeah, I can see why it's easy to give up. I can see why it's easy to stop short and just quit. And I do get it. There will be things that no matter what you do, you will be limited by the world or by whatever. I'm a realist in that sense. But I also know that if I believe in any situation, if I can seek to look for responsibility and control, that will empower me. And if I'm empowered, I'm more likely to grow. I'm more likely to get somewhere better than where I'm at right now. I'm more likely to increase the capacity of happiness and understanding and abundance if I hold on to that ideal. So try that one on, see if it helps you out. Here's another one. I will honor my gifts that I have been given to the best of my ability. 
or preferably in the present tense, I honor the gifts that I've been given to the best of my ability. I love that one. And I'll tell you why, because it presupposes you have gifts. And my friends, you do have gifts. Uh, my friend, Joe Polish, he does this sometimes in seminars. I've seen him do this. He says to people, he goes, if I gave you a million dollars, would you give me your eyes? Like if I wanted to buy your eyes for a million dollars and pluck them out, would you give them to me? And people are like, nah, Joe, I wouldn't do that. And he says, so there you go. You're worth a million dollars. You're worth more than that. You know, because if it's like, listen, if you give me your eyes, would you throw in your ears? Would you throw in your tongue? Would you throw in your kidney? <laughs> now, I seen him do this once and a guy said, I absolutely will. Because there was a period of time in my life where I was paralyzed and I had none of those things. So I know how to operate under the circumstances. And we're all laughing we're like, okay, besides you, nobody else has ever said yes to that. You have gifts. I know that they are obscured, perhaps, right now by the trauma that encroaches upon your thoughts and that courses through your veins and the overwhelm and the anxiety and the depression. It can bury it. It can make these gifts hard to find. It can put a sheen over them. The anxiety is the facade that blocks your gifts from you, but it's just a facade. And so you say, okay, what is a gift that I have? Okay, I have this gift. If I have the gift of sight, not all of us do, by the way. So many of us do. If I have this gift of sight, how can I honor it? How can I use it? I could look at the sunrise and say, isn't that wonderful? I wonder if I can tap into some of the beauty of that sunrise and then pour it into my day. I wonder if that's possible. And if you don't have your eyes, what do you have? You might have something else. And you say, I got this thing. What can I do with it? I got the desire to want to seek a higher level of being. That is a gift. What can I do with it? Or you have the gift of failure. You say, Jason, what do you, what do you mean? The gift of failure is a wonderful thing. The gift of failure shows you what no longer to do. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, okay, we don't have to do that anymore. That's great to know. Now I'm going to do something else instead. Let me try that out. Let me see what will happen. We have the gift of curiosity. Now, maybe you've lost it along the way, but you had it at one point in time. And I believe if you had it inside of you at one point in time, it's still there and you could recover it. Because as a child, you were curious. It might not be as an adult, but as a child, you were. So that's a gift. You have the gift of asking questions. Maybe you're just not asking the right questions right now. What are other questions that you could ask instead? That is a gift. Let's honor it. And I don't know if that idea will help you or not, but it's worth trying on. It's worth seeing. Here's another idea. Number three, given the choice between love and hate, I will seek love. This is a tough one. Challenging. By the way, this is an intellectual exercise that's fighting a biological response because hatred is typically rooted in the biology. Somebody cut you off and boom, you explode. You didn't say, hmm, here are five viable options to that person cutting me off. Let me do an analysis and then pick the best course of action. It doesn't work that way. It's a biological response. And so you can say to yourself, I will choose love over hate. And then immediately five minutes later, step on a Lego on the ground and start cussing it out. And you've responded maybe with hate instead of love. I don't know if that's really an interpretation of hate or not. But you get what I'm saying here. The whole point of it isn't that you automatically correct your biology. There's a lot of work involved in order to do that because you have to figure out how to have things not bypass your brainstem anymore and jump right into that fight or flight mode. So that's like meditation, that's yoga, that's deep breathing. But it's also repetitively over time, if you seek more to these states of love, you do start to have different chemicals released in your body more often if you seek it out. 
And sometimes that slight alteration of these different chemicals that are released in your body is enough to give you an edge. So now you can respond with frustration instead of with anger because frustration is less of strong response than anger is. And pretty soon you could respond with mild discomfort. And then pretty soon it does become more conscious. It does become more intellectual. You can say, listen, if I hold hate in my heart, I'm going to probably be met with hate in the world. If I hold love in my heart, that doesn't automatically mean I'll be met with love in the world. But if I encounter hate in the world, I still have love in my heart. Doesn't that make more sense? This is why I look at social media and I feel like it's frustrating for me because all these people are in a situation that is a Petri dish of hate. And then it becomes addictive. It feels good to feel bad in these environments of social media. And I look at it and say, how is this helping anybody? You getting outraged at somebody else, is that really helping them? I don't think so. Is that really helping you? I don't think so. And then having other people watch this, is this helping the other people? that are? And the answer is no, of course not, right? But it's easy to get swept up in the biology. So if nothing else, a fun exercise is to intellectually say, in the future, if I encounter this situation, here are ways that I could respond with love instead of hate. And then, by the way, don't be attached to them. What I mean by that is you will probably respond with hate anyway, and then you will attach a story to it, and then you will start judging yourself, and then you will feel even more miserable. So don't expect that you'll change the behavior overnight. So say, in the future, if I encounter this situation, what are some ways I can respond with love, knowing I will probably respond with hatred anyway? And that's fine for now, because I'm just building mental pictures. I'm just considering an imagination land how to respond with love. But you know what happens when you do it in imagination land? It's kind of like when you think about sucking on a lemon. You think about that right now. Mm, bite it Your mouth starts watering, doesn't it? Or here's another one for you. Probably not going to like me for a while after this. So I'm going to take a rusty nail. I'm going to scrape it across the chalkboard. And some of you are like, oh, stop that, Jason. Imagination is powerful. In many instances, your body and your mind can't discern between these movies you're running in your head in reality. So you might respond with hatred in reality, but if you run it three or four or five scenarios in your mind later with love, you start to get the DNA of love back in you. And then before you know it, you will reach for hate, but it won't be there as easy, won't be there as often. And the best thing you can do for hate is to love. The best thing you can do for love is to love. There's no other way of doing it. And yes, I know I'm sounding so woo-woo new agey. If I had a better word for it, I'd use it. But that's the thing. And it's just an ideal. Try it out. See how it fits for you. Here's another ideal for you. I will attempt to see others, not just through my eyes, but also through God's eyes. The nice God. <laughs> it's easy to focus on the scary, fearful God. But there's also this loving, wonderful God. Uh, or if there's some sort of religious, spiritual individual that you think imbibes the essence of God, then see it through their eyes instead. So Jesus's eyes, for example, is would be the common Western go-to. But I will attempt to see the world, or I will attempt to see this person not just through my eyes, but also through God's eyes. And this one has helped me out a lot when I'm going through tough times, because sometimes I will see somebody as an enemy, and then I'll be like, okay, the God that I know doesn't look at anybody as an enemy because we're all God's children. We're all a creation of God. And God doesn't look at this person through the instance and the behavior of this one little thing because it's eternal. So in the grand scheme of things, this one incidence is nothing. How can I look at it through that eye? 
through that perspective, through the, the perspective of the creator. And this will just allow you to see somebody other than how you are predisposed to see them right now. Because here's what happens most often is we fall into these patterns. They're usually more negative than positive. Somebody that upsets me or some someone that causes me anger or sadness, I now start to have a reflex. Every time I see that person or think about them, it kicks in that emotional state. It's anchored to that. It's a Pavlonian response. See this person anger. See this person sad. See this person afraid. And how do we break that pattern? Well, one of the ways we break that pattern is by saying, if I had to look at this person through somebody else's eyes, and that can be enough to dislodge that automatic response, and then you can start to build a new foundation. And that's how change can happen. Einstein said it best. You can't solve the problem with the same consciousness which created it. So this is a God-conscious way of looking at it through God's eyes to get a different solution than the current solution, which isn't serving you any longer. It might have served you before, but it ain't serving you no longer. So this is an ideal to try on. See how it plays for you. Final ideal. I will accept exactly who I am in this moment. This is probably the hardest one of all, but it's also maybe the most profound one ever. Because every time you're trying to change yourself, you're at war with yourself. Essentially, self-improvement says, this is the way in which I am deficient. And here's how I need to improve it. And the presupposition there is that there's something wrong with you, that you are malignant in some way, shape, or form. And it's tough because we have to go to war with our weaknesses in order to rise above them. The problem, though, is we identify these weaknesses with the self due to the ego. So before you can really change, you have to accept exactly who you are and honor that, by the way. Here's the extra credit to this ideal. I will accept exactly who I am and I will honor it. Whatever I have done, it has led me to this exact moment that I am in right now. And this exact moment that I am in right now is a moment where I'm looking to open up my heart more. It's in this moment I'm looking to be fuller as myself, to reach more into the potential of the infinite, of the wonderfulness of who I can be. So you should honor that. And man, I don't care how many mistakes you made. I don't care how badly you screwed up, right? It's led you to the thinking and the belief right now that says, I want to be more of who I am. I want to feel right. I want to be in my purpose in this world. So whatever it was that got you there, you should absolutely say, I appreciate you and I acknowledge you at least. But you got to honor who you are right now. Exactly. If not honor it, you got to accept who you are right now. Because otherwise you will fight it. Until you stop that fight, it's going to be hard to get anywhere. So don't say, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich, I'm rich when I'm broke. Say, I am broke right now. I accept that. Now that I accept it, here's what we can do about it. But if I want to fight it, if I want to have tension around it, I'm pouring energy into it. And that energy is just being lost. There is some absolutely wonderful feeling of liberation that occurs when you accept the reality exactly as it is without attaching a story to it. Embracing yourself. I will accept exactly who I am in this moment. And now you no longer have to waste the energy fighting within yourself. I think it was Lincoln who said, a house divided cannot stand. You are that house, my friend. And if there are parts of you that are incongruent with other parts, you are divided, you will not stand. Let's put all those parts in alignment. Let's accept the contradictions of ourselves. Even if they're contradictive, we don't have to reconcile them. We have to just accept, I'm a contradicted individual. And now that we've accepted, what can we do with it? Because I'll tell you what, no matter what, you are capable 
of doing the most unbelievable things. I'm living proof of that, and so are so many other people. And so that's an idea worth holding on to. Now, I don't know which of these, if any of these, will do it for you, or if you use these as springboards to find your own ideals, but we have to have ideals to live by. You have them right now. Maybe they're not well-defined, and maybe they're limiting you in the ways you wish you were not limited anymore. Maybe we can find ideals that can inspire us, allow us to accept ourselves, and create abundance. And man, if that works in tough times, imagine what happens when times aren't so tough anymore. Because tough times don't last, but tough people do. There's another quote for you right there. So try that on. Let me know how that lands with you. Hey, Jason Flyland here. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you found this helpful at all, please leave me a review. And thanks again and stay tuned for future episodes.